If you'd like to open up to Acts chapter 8, and starting at verse 26, that's our message for today. Let's just pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bond of your word and your spirit. And we pray that your spirit would speak to us as we look at your word, that we might hear you and uh, see you in truth. Amen. Well, I've always been amazed by the ministry of Billy Graham, that great American evangelist who had a worldwide ministry of evangelism in the 20th century. I find it amazing to consider that God would choose just one man like Billy Graham to spread his gospel to millions throughout the stadiums and gatherings throughout the world where he preached at. Well, today we're asking the question, who is the greatest evangelist? Who is the greatest evangelist in the book of Acts? Well, in the book of Acts, there are a number of great evangelists to pick from, aren't there? Peter, the leader of the apostles, or Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, or even as we look at today, Philip, the man who converted the Ethiopian eunuch. So that's the question we're thinking about. Who is Acts' greatest evangelist? That's the question we're asking today. You see, if there's anything this passage shows us is that we need to be doing the work of evangelism. It's such an important thing to be active in sharing our faith with the world. So who is the greatest evangelist? That's the question we're thinking about today. We're going to uh, step through the passage bit by bit as we seek to answer that question. So firstly, we see that God directs. In verse 26, God directs. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now the context of this is obviously in Acts chapter 7 last week we saw the death of Stephen and we saw that the persecution that fell on the church scattered them throughout the regions, throughout Judea and Samaria. The gospel went out and we see that Philip, the deacon, has come down to Samaria and he's preaching the gospel and people are believing. The apostles Peter and John come down to affirm what's happened there in Samaria. And then now we see in verse 26, an angel of the Lord directs Philip to go and preach somewhere else. Notice that the angel tells him to go down the south road towards the city of Gaza down on near the coast, heading down towards Africa and Egypt. So we see here that God has plans for the gospel's expansion, that God is keen for it to happen so much so that he will push the deacon Philip down that way. God directs the work of his gospel. God desires his gospel to go out. That's what we see here, isn't it? So the question is then, how are we getting on board with God, with the plans, with the desires that he has for the spreading of the gospel? How are we getting on board with God with that in Griffith in 2021? Next thing we see here is that God prepares. He prepares the evangelist, but also those who are to be evangelized. God prepares. See in verse 27. 
So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. We see here that God prepares the way for our evangelism. He had prepared the Ethiopian eunuch, to meet Philip on that day. He was in the right spot at the right time, reading the right book, thinking about the right things. Going through Isaiah 53, that great clear passage about the cross of Jesus. God prepares those who are going to be evangelised. So then, guys, do we have confidence that God will prepare the way for us to share the gospel? Do you believe that God prepares the people you're going to speak to? You're going to share the gospel with them? Just a story from um, my own life. Back in 2011, I think it was, I went on a mission trip to Albury Presbyterian Church and we were going to go and do some door knocking and so me and a fellow called Mike from college, we went door knocking in Albury near the church. And, you know, you get a bit uh, worried about doing things like that. Well, one of the doors we came across, we chatted to this fellow and he just had so many questions for us about God and, and Jesus. We chatted to him for over an hour and it was just question after question after question. God prepared us to go and speak to him. And my friend who I went with, Mike, he said to me as we were walking away from the fellow's house, he said, Jesse, it's like God was just saying to you, why don't you just trust me? And I've never forgotten uh, that moment. God prepares those who will be evangelised. Next we see that the Spirit tells. See in verse 29, he tells Philip what to do next. It says that the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. You see, the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to the specific person whom, to whom he is to do the evangelism. We see the Holy Spirit's role in the book of Acts here. Some people have said that he's so directive of the gospel's movement that it should be called not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It shows that God is at work in the book of Acts and in our lives through the power of his spirit. Next in the passage we see the question of Philip in verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? So then we see the need the need of the Ethiopian in verse 31. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Now, why did the Ethiopian respond in this way? Clearly, he didn't quite understand it. And it shows us um, we need to remember the, the ignorance of some people to the Christian message. You know, there are some people out there who've never really even heard about Jesus, aren't there? I know it's hard for us to believe, but there are. There are people out there who don't know the most simplest things about the Bible's message. 
I was once reading the Bible weekly with a younger Christian and I had to stop a lot of times during the passages we would read and explain the simplest concepts to him. And that's fine, but it just reminds us that there are people out there who do need us to very simply explain the message of God. It shows us here that we need to be willing to explain things simply to those who ask us and to those who need from us. The next thing we see is that the passage affirms the truth of the gospel from the passage in Isaiah. See in verse 32. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, it's Isaiah 53, that the suffering servant was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So it just so happened on that day that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, which points to Jesus. Now, no doubt Philip would have told him that it was Jesus who went without protest as a sheep to the slaughter. He would have said that Jesus' life was taken in an unjust and a deeply humiliating way. See, the eunuch was looking at verses 7 to 8 in Isaiah 53, but surely Philip would have rolled back the scroll to verses 4 to 6 of Isaiah 53, which says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These verses are to show that it was for human transgression that Jesus died, and that we are all involved in that. In verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. We see here that by his death, Christ's death, that we, the sinful, may have peace and be healed. And surely Philip also would have explained that all of us are disqualified from God because of our sin. The Ethiopian eunuch also was disqualified from the temple because of his physical disability. For in Deuteronomy, it says that those who had been castrated could not enter the temple of God. But all of us, all of us at one time were separated from God because of our spiritual disability, because of our sin. See, as Philip explains Isaiah 53, his message was about the death of the innocent Jesus for the undeserving sinner. Now also, as Philip explained it on that day, we think that he also would have rolled the scroll of Isaiah forward to look at verses 10 to 12 and to speak of the resurrection of Jesus for it says in Isaiah 53 verse 10, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong. You see, the passage in Isaiah also speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. It says that after the suffering of his soul, he would see the light of life and be satisfied. Now, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching to the crowds, he told them to repent and be baptised. Just like Peter before him, Philip with the eunuch, also would have told the Ethiopian to repent and to be baptised. And this is evident from the response of the eunuch in verse 36. Have a look at the response in verse 36. It says, as they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? See, the Ethiopian has believed in the gospel that Philip has preached to him on that day. He has believed that Jesus is the Lord and the Saviour, and that he, he must come to Jesus in repentance and faith. And so see, in verse 38... He gave orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. And so the eunuch becomes a Christian in this story. He repents, he puts his faith in Jesus and he is baptised. And that's really the model, isn't it, for any conversion to Christ. The Ethiopian here is an example to us you see, what happens or what should happen when someone becomes a Christian? This passage is a good example that they should repent of their sin, put their faith in Jesus and be baptised. So friends, are we helping people to repent and put their faith in Jesus? Would we even know how to do that? John Chapman tells a story in his book, Know and Tell the Gospel, about a time someone said to him, how do I become a Christian? And, you know, he, he couldn't even tell them. And so he vowed after that day to never let that happen again, that the next time someone asked, he would know how to tell them how to become a Christian. So what about baptism as well, which we see in this passage Baptism is the sign of entering into the Christian faith. So, have you been baptised? And if not, why not? It's a great public affirmation of what Christ has done for you. So, if you haven't, why not consider getting baptised? And if you or your kids were baptised as infants... Why not try a second baptism then, a dry baptism which we call a public profession of faith. In Reformed churches, when our baptised children come of age and are ready to profess the gospel, we ask them to make a profession of faith before the congregation. It's a very special moment which acknowledges that they themselves have now become a Christian. So would you like to be baptised or would you like to make a profession of faith? Uh, please talk to me, I'd love to talk to you about that. So it's a great story that we've seen here today in Acts 8. It's a great example of someone coming to faith. 
but also a great example of how God is working through the book of Acts to spread his gospel to the world. This passage is an encouragement for us to do the work of evangelism, to share the gospel with the world, and so bring glory to the name of the Lord, and to hope that many will respond when we do that and come to faith in Jesus. This passage is an encouragement to us to share our faith. Now, in Presbyterian tradition, we believe that God is sovereign in salvation, that God is in control. But I wonder if you've ever heard of that silly phrase, God is sovereign, so then let him alone do the work of evangelism. Have you ever heard a silly phrase like that? If God's in control, then let him do the work of evangelism. What a silly idea. Let me explain that a bit more. When the great 19th century missionary William Carey expressed his desire to do mission work by serving the Lord in India, he received the following response from a fellow ministerial colleague. They said to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. And so Kerry went on to start a wonderful work in India. But isn't that a shocking response? Have you ever heard an opinion like that? That opinion that says that because God is in control, we do not need to participate in the work of evangelism. No, friends. No, far to the contrary. Far to the contrary. Because God is in control, we can do the work of evangelism, right? It gives us confidence to go out and do it because God is in control. Friends, the book of Acts shows us, doesn't it, that God's heart is a heart for the lost. And we must state today that a church or a Christian that ceases to have a missionary heart ceases to act like a Christian. No, God does call us to be missionaries in our town. And in this world, God himself has a missionary heart and he calls us to have a heart for sharing the gospel too. Friends, because God is in control, we can carry out the work of evangelism with great confidence that people will come to faith. People will come to faith according to God's will when we step out and share the gospel with them. So, friends, a few questions for us to think about today. Am I sensitive to the encounters with non-Christians in my own life? Am I ready to share with them? As I travel on the plane or as I meet new people, am I looking to open up a conversation for Jesus? Ask yourself this. Do I see every meeting as an opportunity Friends, God knows where he will take the conversation. God's heart is for the lost. He desires to see us take up gospel opportunities to share the good news and God will see people come into his kingdom. In the book of 1 Timothy, it says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Are our desires the same as God's in that sense and what are we doing about it? In the beginning, I asked the question, who is the greatest evangelist in the book of Acts? And the answer is not Billy Graham, not even Philip the deacon, but God. 
God is the sovereign evangelist, bringing about the meetings of evangelists and seekers and desiring and ordaining the response of repentance to his message. God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So will we get out there and share with others? Let us pray. We thank you so much, Father, for the good news of Jesus, the news that we can be saved from our sin because of what he has done. We thank you for the confidence that you desire people to be saved and that you work in their salvation. We pray that that would help us as we go about our lives. Amen. Amen.